Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. My name is Gael and I'm the co-founder of Authority Hacker and I'm here with Mark. How's it going, Mark? Hello, going good. And today we're going to talk about low-hanging fruits for sites that already make money because getting to make some money with your website is not the hardest thing in the world, but you will hit some plateaus as you go and as you progress and it's going to be... Yeah, you're going to have to change tactics. You're going to have to change gears to make progress. And it's one of the things that I see a lot of online marketers struggle with. It's in general, just doing real business stuff. Most people that do online marketing, they don't want to talk to anyone. They want to hide in their cave and not interact, etc. And a lot of these tactics will kind of be the opposite of that and probably take you out of your comfort zone if you want to do this kind of stuff. But some of them are worth it. The good news is the first few ones don't require that. You can do them in your cave if you live in a cave or wherever you live, but any ones I would say will probably take you out a little bit of your comfort zone. So let's not fluff you about what you're going to learn, and let's actually talk about the actual stuff you're going to learn. So let's jump into the number one right now, and the number one is testing call to actions. Do you want to talk about this, or should I talk about this one? This one's yours. All right, so it's one of the things that, I mean, a team that's going to be recurrent on this podcast is that working on pages that work already is just a lot more productive than creating new content. And even if you're following Atari Hacker, you can see the content creation speed is definitely a lot slower these days, mostly because we follow the strategy and the proof is in the pudding. Atari Hacker has never been this successful. So, and it works the same with our other sites. So yeah, one of the things that you can do is work on Really, the way you make money is your call to actions on your page, whether if you do product reviews, it's going to be you know, your call to action buttons or your comparison tables or that kind of stuff. If you're doing funnels and that kind of stuff, it's going to be your opt-ins and so on. And there's some pretty easy ways to test these things. I personally like to use a pretty old Google tool, actually. So there is Google Optimize, which is the new Google tool that is free. And it's kind of like cool drag and drop A-B testing and so on. But the truth is, it's a little complex to set up, and I believe that most people don't even need that. So I personally prefer to use Google Experiments, which is a subtool inside Google Analytics. And what you do essentially is you give two URLs to Google Analytics, and you give them a goal, right? And you can set up goals in Google Analytics for affiliate link clicks. You can do that with Tag Manager. I guess I need to do a tutorial. It's not the easiest thing to explain on the podcast, but you do set up a goal for affiliate link click. And then based on that, you can say, I want to optimize this page for affiliate link clicks. And then you create two different pages. So you create one page that is your base page, the page that you have already. I tend to use page builders for that. I know you're not a fan of page builders anymore, Mark, but this kind of stuff, I kind of like to do that. I create a variation of this page. And then as a result, I give these two URLs to Google Experiments. And I say, okay, go and test it against this goal. And it tells me which one generated the most clicks. But one thing I like to do as well when I run these experiments is creating unique tracking IDs for each page. So you do that on the affiliate network side. So you can do that on Amazon or you can do that on pretty much any affiliate network that you use. And the the important would... thing there, though, is that it has to be for your control and for your variation, you should create new tracking IDs. 
So yeah. we had this example recently where we're, we're running a test on, I think it was like an Amazon page and uh, like a best extra wide type post, the Amazon tables at the top. And we tested with a new variation tracking ID and we compared that just to the original. But there's a few issues there. So first of all, cookies last a while. I know Amazon's only 24 hours or whatever, but after we stop the test, it's still possible that there's people coming in from the original cookie and getting credited for that even after the test has stopped. So, and like, you know, if you're going through like half a day or starting midway through a day, it just messes it all up. So as much as possible, get all of your data into like two brand new tracking IDs or tra- sub IDs that you're using, depending on what affiliate tracking software you're using. And the purpose of that is to determine exactly unequivocally how much money you make from each of those two during the length of that test and no more. So it doesn't get kind of cannibalized by your just normal day-to-day sales. Yeah, I do that for clicks, but if we're doing email opt-ins, truth is we're still using Strive Leads. I don't know if we're going to use it forever. Right now, it's still the tool I like to use on WordPress, and it's probably the best tool to get started, I would say. But we're looking, there's a lot of cool new leads generation tools that I was looking at this week, and when we actually test these things, we'll talk about them. At this point, Strive Leads has a pretty decent A-B testing setup. It's a little bit complicated for us to do that on Authority Hacker because we have webinar jam call to actions and so they don't get considered as conversions by Thrive Leads. So on Authority Hacker, you won't see that, but on other sites, we use Thrive Leads. So the number one is that it's testing call to actions. We've got up to like 30% more conversions just by testing them, changing the text, changing the colors, changing where they are, putting them higher on the page, all these kind of things that have yielded higher results and by far is the lowest hanging fruit. It's just you're changing a few links on your page and you're making up to 30% more money, quite easy and usually a lot more productive than creating new content. So you should almost prioritize that over publishing on your site, I would say. Yeah, the thing with this as well is I would say go for like a fairly drastic test to, to begin with. A lot of people read about CRO and they'll start by testing something like changing from a red to an orange button color. And the truth is that that may make like a one or two percent difference, something like that. The big changes, the the real increases you'll see at least early on are more likely to be where you're doing like a dramatic redesign of the table or something in your your like headline if it's on a sales page or something right at the start, like something very very significant. So. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that works really well with us if you don't if you don't do Amazon is adding exit intent pop-ups on these pages with affiliate links on them. These work extremely well. It's like one of my best affiliate tactics. It's just to create opt-in pop-up not opt-in pop-ups, but rather call to action pop-ups to offers in exit intent or timed on mobile. And these generate a lot of money. So Something you want to test as well. That that is a good test to run. Actually, try to to run pop-ups on these high conversion pages, and even consider making a pop-up for that page. It's, it's often worth it. Yeah, I mean, just literally just having a regular every two weeks, every month time set aside to go in and start a new set of tests for your call to actions. Like we don't do that. Let's be honest. But if we I did, did quite regularly on a bunch of sites, to like. 
not every two weeks, but once every two months, I would say. Yeah. I mean, considering that this is one of those like high leveraged activities, like it takes very little effort to like make a potentially quite a big difference in sales or in opt-ins or whatever you may. I would argue it depends on your setup. Like if I wanted to test on Atari Hacker right now, it would actually be quite a bit of a headache. <laughs> You mean because of tech setup and stuff that... Yes. Yeah. As we're in the process of redoing the site and redesigning and sorting all that stuff out, I think yeah. that will become a lot easier. It's like on, on health emission, no problem. Yeah. On some other sites, we have no problem. I can do that really quickly and I do it very often. When you have complicated tech setups with like webinars and so on, it's a little more complicated. Sure. But anyway, let's talk about the point two because we have nine to go through. And <laughs> I don't want to do another an hour and a half podcast. So number two is build a hub out of successful content. And that one is also, it's kind of like against like what I just said earlier, because it's kind of like publishing new content. But I really like this approach. Like a lot of the time when people do keyword research, they'll focus on, you know, what's the lowest competition, et cetera, et cetera. But very often, if you already make money, being able to identify what makes money and then just doing more of it. And what I like to do is I like to, produce a subcategory within a category like an example i'm going to give in a second is um i'm going to give it now actually so we had that article that you made a lot of fun about when i published it on health ambition which was how to stop farting which was like the fifth or sixth article we published on this site right so you're like yeah nobody's gonna read that that's such a wrong, the wrong angle for this site blah 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 all right fast forward today eight hundred thousand people have read this article did all right <laughs> yeah Sorry. It did yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah, just in that revenue, right? But like one subsection was about probiotics, right? It was like, hey, take probiotics, going to improve your digestion and you're going to fast less, essentially. And so I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Maybe I can try to make some, to learn from this and make some Amazon articles about probiotics, which I did. I ordered like three articles. And one of them was, I can't remember, like probiotics for SIBO or some kind of like stomach disorder. And that place did really well and produced a lot of revenue in terms of Amazon and like above the average of Amazon pages we had on the site. And so I recycled that again. And it's like I had three pieces. They all did quite well. And now I kept milking this and we have 27 pieces on probiotics. And in total, these pieces generate over 700 visits per day. So that's kind of like, you know, it's, it's bigger than many niche sites just for these 27 pieces. So it's actually quite good per piece of content. And these pages are some of the best earning pages on the site. So if you're able to do something similar on your site where you identify pages that are doing well, and you can identify either subtopics like I did with the how to stop farting page, like a subsection was talking about probiotics. So I just went into that. Or you can just identify a page that generates revenue and try to do keyword research around that. And even if the keywords are a little bit more competitive, it seems like Google does like sites that, that build hubs of similar content and that they tend to rank them better. Like, for example, we talk a lot about apple cider vinegar and health emission. And even if the keywords are competitive, when we make an article on apple cider vinegar, it tends to rank and generate a lot of traffic. So being able to identify these winners on your site, so learning analytics, basically, and then just cycling through and expanding this is a huge win in terms of low-hanging fruits and the success rate tends to be a lot higher than just picking something out of the blue that's unrelated to anything you've ever published on your site so do you want to add something on this point no but uh it kind of brings us nicely onto our next point which is like it, it's not too dissimilar i mean mm. the idea of identifying successful content 
and going back and sort of capitalizing on that. With point two, which was building a hub out of successful content, it's kind of like you find it, you find what's what's working and you do, you repeat that. You do more of that slightly targeted differently, but still covering the same kind of like subtopic, like in that case, apple cider vinegar. A different way to approach that is to to take that same article and then go and put a lot more work into that. So this is something that guys like Brian Dean do very, very well. I think he has like 15 blog posts on his site. And that's the question is, when was the last time he published a new one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he goes like, what do you... I mean, I'm laughing, but he gets way more traffic than us. Exactly. Exactly. The results per blog post is like just off the charts with, with what he's doing. That's great. Like the idea of like a lot of the time with with the content, you know, we spend an amount of time creating it, producing it, then we publish it and then that's it. It's like it's forgotten for the rest of time. Yeah. Um, There's a very typical approach that 99% of bloggers out there will take. Essentially, all we're saying is like add another layer to this where we, you know, we, we're putting in X amount of effort to create the post in the first place several times, many times. Let's go back and look to see what's stuck and then take those posts and just spend a lot more work and like really go the extra mile to make them epic or to add monetization channels or whatever to it. So what would so, you do concretely to a post? Like, like let's go into the concrete. Well, I mean, first, first is important. I mean, you talked about learning analytics. First of all, be able to understand when a post is doing well. And, you know, that could be because it has a lot of traffic, which is, of course, very easy to find out if you have Google Analytics set up. It's free as well. But there's a kind of another layer on that because traffic doesn't really tell the whole picture. You want to know how much money that page is, is kind of making for you. So if you're running an Amazon associate site, like kind of like Health Ambition is at least for a lot of the content on there, then you really need to, to know how much revenue that page brought in. And the way to do that, or the way you can do that is by setting up uh, tracking IDs, which are within your associate's account. You can set up, I think it's like by default, 100 or 200 you can, you can set up, but you can request more. So on health ambition do you even need to request anymore i thought we just expanded without yeah no there, there, there was there was something in there they just didn't tell us that they had accepted it or something anyway it's typical amazon anyway you do this and we have a tracking id per page we made it simple we made the tracking id and the url very very similar so it's easy to see what's what and when you pull or when you download the excel report the csv whatever from amazon dashboard, it'll break down all your sales over the time you've specified by tracking ID. And instantly you just sort that by revenue. And then you'll see, you know, what are your like order, all of your highest generating revenue pages. So, I mean, that is an amazing way to, to see what's doing really well. If you're on like non-Amazon affiliate programs, most of the common ones, even the sort of self-managed ones, if it's like a, yeah, if it's like an affiliate yeah. tracking software solution that someone's bought, bought off the shelf kind of thing, then you can set sub IDs or even tracking IDs depending on how it's set up. Anyway, even if you're not able to do that, you can do it internally by using like thirsty affiliates. This isn't going to track your revenue, but it will track your actual affiliate clicks, which is... It's probably not a good idea with Amazon though, is it? Now they have this kind of Amazon. No, I'm, 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 not sure. I'm talking about for non-Amazon. Yeah, or okay. So basically, if it's not possible to track revenue at page level, you can at least track clicks at page level. So it's more a vanity metric than actual data, but it's going to give you more of an indication as to what's doing well. 
than than not having that information, just relying on raw traffic. So it's slightly more accurate, but not all the way. So once you've identified which pages are making money or doing particularly well, then there's an opportunity to, to look at how we can improve, like go deeper with that, that article. So on the like monetization side, that can be looking for new places to add affiliate links. You can add you know new sections. Perhaps you talk about something and then there's a, a product recommendation that you missed in your original article. I think that was actually the case with the how to stop farting article we had. Didn't we go back and add like seven different things. yeah activated chocolate yeah there's a but... bunch of like uh health supplements and and products yeah. that actually made a difference to, to that and it worked really well so that's a sort of option you can add like a content upgrade which would be it's like an opt-in but specific to that article so if someone's read i'm going to keep using this article <laughs> if someone's used uh, read the <laughs> how to stop farting article you could offer them and there's maybe seven tips in there you could offer them you know two more if they opt into your email list you know that kind you of thing. really can't stop you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many copycats of the how to stop farting article are we gonna, are gonna uh, see? <laughs> i can't wait so yeah it's like stopping the greenhouse effect you know yeah yeah so, so yeah, I mean, there are ways to go through that. Of course, you can go make sure, you know, the products you are, you did recommend if it was some time ago are still good or they're, they're still up to date. So th- that's kind of on the monetization side. On the actual content itself, like the giving value side of things, first of all, make sure it's up to date. So this is quite a problem for us on Authority Hacker. If you look at our like Ahrefs review or something like that, because they're adding features like all the time, the review of a software product like that goes out of date quite quickly so if we look at our our site we see it's doing well we should be going back and updating that with like the latest features and change recommendations accordingly and whatnot so yeah that's one thing make it up to date and the second thing is just make it better so i mean you can rewrite the article from from scratch i wouldn't necessarily recommend that unless it's like really not that great because if it's ranking and it's getting traffic making sales you're clearly doing some stuff right already so instead of kind of starting from scratch the approach i think is how can we take what we've done and add some extra like super high value stuff on top of that good example of that could be using data so if you're making a recommendation for a tool say and then after you would written the review six months go by but you're you're actually using the review yourself Maybe you have some data about how successful that's been for you. You can show your analytics or your income report or whatever it else is to kind of back that up. And yeah, just get, basically give more value, give more context to the, the article that way. You can also add some kind of like a unique angle or, or case study even. Again, if you've, you know, if you've been using, a, I'm trying to think of a tool off the top of my head, but it's not coming to me. If you've been using a tool, let's say you started a new site, added to your portfolio, and it's done particularly well doing something according to the way you said, you can then go back and add that as like a kind of like proof that it works kind of thing, which I think we probably have quite a lot of opportunities to do that kind of stuff on. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like we're waiting for the new site to come yeah. up, but like this, like, so much of these to do on Toriyako is crazy. It's like, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming up when a new site comes up. It's just we're waiting for it because even in terms of formatting, we don't want to do it twice. Yeah, and that's, you put this note here about the gap analysis tool in Ahrefs. I haven't yeah. actually used it, so tell us about that. Well, they, they had a tutorial. It's like I was just going through the Ahrefs YouTube channel, which is really good, actually. If you have Ahrefs, you should definitely go through that. They're producing some pretty cool content. 
they should definitely pay us for that. <laughs> but Hashtag um, sponsored. <laughs> yeah, we're not sponsored, by the way. But anyway, it's like they had a that cool tool with the gap analysis tool where so it essentially tells you can give a URL to it and you'll be like, okay, what are the keywords that this URL doesn't rank for, but the other UR, these other URLs rank for, rank for, right? So you can do that with like other pages that rank for your main keyword. So let's say you're, you're ranking for best probiotics, let's say, because let's stay on probiotics. So you rank for that and you rank number three or four, right? And then what you do is you take the, I think you can put five URLs in there. So you take the top five URLs that rank above you and it's going to give you all the keywords that they rank for in the top 50 or 100, I think, but you don't rank for, right? And what it's going to do is it's going to give you a bunch of subtopics that essentially they talk about on their articles that you don't talk about. And you even have a tick box that allows you to tick it. So to say that the keywords that all these articles rank for, but mine doesn't rank for. So it's kind of like crossing everything and giving you that super sweet data that like, well, the top five articles, they all rank for this keyword. They all talk about this subtopic and you're not talking about it. So you can go back and re-edit your content and add these subtopics into it. So this content gap analysis is kind of a, a cool tool to re-edit your content. And I, I believe in the first place, probably a cool tool to outline your content in the first place, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of approach that a lot of these like tools-based kind of like analysis tools take. I've been sort of digging in the depths of SEO software lately and came across this other tool called uh, Cora, C-O-R-A, just like starting to experiment with it. But it's pretty cool what you can do with kind of doing big analysis against all the other pages ranking for something. And then it draws like statistical correlations as to like what, I think it has like 150 odd factors and like which of those correlate strongly with like the top one, the top 10 results, that kind of thing. And if you're looking to improve and expand your content in order to like go like boost the rankings, like that kind of stuff has a lot of potential. Again, I just started playing around with it. So I'm not going to go too much into it at this stage. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, but even just the gap analysis tool already can give a lot of information. And I think most people will have some kind of access to Ahrefs. All right, let's go to number four. Uh, Number four is test your affiliate offers and try new ones. And as much as I'd like to tell you there's an easy way to automate this, it's not true. I mean, sure, there is plenty of tools that are like link shorteners that allow you to rotate URLs. But in the context of like building websites, you're going to be losing context if you... I guess unless you say, oh, I recommend this probiotic and you have a hyperlink that says this probiotic, then you could rotate the link. But if you're kind of naming the product and making a product box or that kind of stuff or doing a a review or something like this, you can't really rotate the URLs and send people somewhere else. You lose a lot of authenticity (laughs) when you try and have like, when you try and do that, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, okay, there is tools to rotate URLs. But the context of building websites, it doesn't really apply. It applies to paid campaigns. It applies to different angles, like, you know, like check out this, like something where you essentially hide where people are going, then it works. And you can use something like, what's the name? There's a tool called Link Tracker, and I'll mention it later. But yeah, there is a few link relating tools, essentially. But in this case, it doesn't work. So what you need to do, and it's going to be very, very basic here, but it's and I see a lot of big sites do that in some of the niches where we work. Put forward, which is usually like on top of your review tables, etc., on top of the article, an offer and 
collect the number of clicks you get, the click-through rate rather. So number of visits on the page against number of clicks and the EPC, earnings per click. So you know, you have information about the number of people who click through to the offer. So how appealing the offer is on the front end of your site and how it converts through the EPC. So you really need just these two metrics. So you need number of visitors to page, number of link clicks, and revenue in total divided by clicks, and that's your revenue per click, EPC. And with these three numbers, you can have a very good idea of how well an offer does. And all you have to do is do two weeks with one, two weeks with another, and put everything in Excel and compare mostly the EPC, but the CTR next to it. And that is often something that's going to be useful for people that are the point where they make money with Amazon, but they want to try other affiliate programs. And because of the way these tracking IDs work with Amazon, it's kind of nice because it's going to track the sales, every product that's sold through that link click. And so you're able to say, okay, per click, like I'm getting a CTR of 4% and my revenue per click is 50 cents, 60 cents. And then my, if I use, for example, in supplements, I could use the GNC FA program and then I get a click through rate of 5%, but my revenue per click is 0.4. And then you just make the, you do the math. And you figure out which one works better. But it's kind of nice because you're already ranking. You're already getting the traffic. So you just need to run. It's kind of an A-B test, but it's a very old school one. You cannot run two at the same time. Although you could probably, I guess, do the A-B testing trick that I said at the beginning of the podcast. But running two weeks one, two weeks the other works okay if you don't have too much seasonality. So testing offers. And just that is, this way is a great way to get out of Amazon and try some other stuff. A lot of the time, you're going to try other programs and Amazon is going to make more money, though. I'm going to tell you that. Yeah, even though the uh, commission like percentages are much lower, just the fact that Amazon is A, so trusted and like the checkout experience is just like so sm- seamless and so smooth and so well optimized. Plus the fact that you get commission on the other stuff they buy on Amazon and people tend to buy, yeah. you know, lots of stuff at the, at the same time. And, you know, there's all sorts of amazon i think retargeting and emails that go out when you look at certain things and suggest other offers so yeah the other thing i would say to all this about testing offers is be a little bit cautious about just like trying to find the one that just pays the best regardless because there are a lot of sites out there who in almost every industry who promote the product or tool or hosting company that pays the highest affiliate commissions, they're not necessarily the best products. In some cases, they're actually some of the worst products. So just be most of the time. Just be careful and don't sort of like screw over your own audience, sell out just to make a quick buck. I believe that that's going to hurt you in the long run if you take that approach. But I don't think it's just that. I think the reason they have high commissions is because their conversion rate and refund rate is shit anyway. So mm-hmm. to be competitive, they have I, to have... I mean, that's not always the case. I think there's a kind of like, there's a bit of like a U-shaped graph here. So like the worst products that no one's ever going to buy unless they like the real scammy diet pills and stuff, unless they have like super high commissions, then they'll do it. I think also like some of the best products in in industries, some of the better products in some industries at least do have high paying commissions. And it's not just a commission amount, but like their actual conversion rate is very good because their product is good and and all that kind of stuff. So again, it it really varies so much industry to industry. That's why we say as this tip, you know, test them. But just be aware of what you're promoting when you when you start start looking through things. And yeah. For physical items though, I see a lot of people trying other things and coming back to Amazon still. For other things like, you know, services and online products and software and all that stuff, then there's a lot more testing that needs 
to be done to maximize the revenue. But yeah, for physical products, I do see a lot, a lot of Amazon stuff. And a lot of people come back to Amazon yeah, just because it's easy as well, right? Yep. Okay, let's go on to tip number five, which is kind of a simple one, but one that a lot of people are, would be afraid to do. And that only applies to people that are not on Amazon, right? So, yeah. Or or unless <laughs> you have like is, a massive site, I bet this would probably work as well. <laughs> unless you have huge cojones. Yeah. Know? The tip is just ask for a commission, right? It's literally. And it's really not that uncommon. I mean, all you need to do is you need to know who is your affiliate manager. Unless you're with Amazon, you should have one, even with networks. And all of them have some kind of margin to increase commissions for preferred affiliates. Obviously, don't go there when you're making like two sales per month. Yeah. Just work on making a decent volume already. Like you should be making, I mean, it's hard to, to give a number, but you, yeah. you know, the money you're making them should be like four figures per month. You know, least, I always I wondered say. why most affiliate programs made you jump through so many hoops to join with like long application forms and all that kind of stuff. I always thought they would just want you know, as many people as possible in their program. But having now sort of, not very successfully, but sort of run an affiliate program for Authority Hacker, the way I see it is like 95 to 97% of people who who, of affiliates are just terrible. They never do anything besides signing up. So it's not really worth the time to engage with everyone to try and like help them along because you just be helping so many people that are never going to do anything. So, and I'm telling you this because as an affiliate, if you're trying to ask for a commission raise, then the point in time to do that is once you've actually demonstrated some success and some value that you've given. So when you start making a good amount of commissions, start pushing a good amount of sales towards the product consistently over a few months, then affiliate managers, whomever is responsible for for dealing with you, they're going to love you. You know, they're going to want to help you. In many cases, they will reach out to you to suggest, you know, things you can do to improve your conversion on your site, you know, new promotions they have coming up. So use that opportunity to sort of get your foot in the door, build a, a real relationship. Remember, um, you plus the the company or the affiliate manager working together, you can achieve a lot more. And so when you sort of start building that relationship, then that's the point when you can sort of ask Ideally, set up a call with them, discuss your plans for, for the future, for growth, talk about you know how much you're putting into this and how you see this as like a long-term win-win kind of thing. And then show you're serious, basically. Then just ask them for a commission boost. Most of them, in most cases, will be, be cool with it. Or they'll have some, as Gail said, some margin to work around, especially if you're, you're one of the bigger affiliates. So it doesn't hurt to ask. The worst they can say is no. You're not going to lose anything from that. It's still likely because you you showed seriousness yep. in the product, you know. Like, and uh, I mean, recently we had a call with one of our affiliate managers for one of our newer sites, and right off the bat, they just gave us fifty percent commission increase, which is quite big for this site yep. actually. Barely, um, barely even had and, to ask for it. You know, it was just that was like it yeah. seemed like when you hit a certain threshold, that was kind of something they would just come out and offer. So. When I wrote the huge review for Bustream, I did it as well, and they boost my commissions, mm-hmm. you know, on Authority Hacker. Just because I was like, well, it's like I spent like literally three weeks writing this thing. To be frank, not a lot of people were interested in Bustream. That was not the best strategical decision. But that was the tool I knew at the time. And I wanted to like really share a long tutorial, so I did it. And then they, they boosted our commissions anyway. Just because, in this case, because they were not that popular, you know, 
and because someone really took the time to really go all in into that and you know over time it's paid off it's not been the absolute best thing i've ever done but it's definitely helped to ask for it so another thing i would say as well is when you're having this discussion try to ask for exclusive discounts as well if you can offer some kind of special offers to your readers and you say ah only available for readers on the site get this special offer like 20 percent off whatever then you're going to get a huge conversion boost. And sometimes that's even better than a commission yeah. rate boost because more people are going to convert and you're going to make more money anyway. And very often you can get both, right? Very often you can ask for a special offer. Sometimes it's like longer, like more product or it's going to be, it can be more stuff. Or sometimes it can just be a discount. And on top of that, you can ask a commission rate and that's when you get the big wins. That's when you turn in something that's kind of successful to something that's really successful. So yeah, asking for a commission rate and overall just talking to affiliate managers. Affiliate managers are like the most frustrated people in the world because all affiliates ignore them completely and just don't care. And then if you actually talk to them, they'll be so happy. And then you're going to get a lot of competitive advantage. You can literally go to them and be like, hey, what's working? And then they'll just show you what they have. Obviously, they'll have some, their manager push some offers on them, et cetera. So you need to filter it. But if you're not that guy that ignores them, you might get a lot of valuable information from them. So probably worth it, you know? All right, let's jump on to number six. I can't believe we're actually on time on this podcast. But, and the number six is something that I talked a, quite a bit about on the ClickBank post, which is definitely an older post on Atelier Hacker, but surprisingly still very, very current. And this one is creating an affiliate funnel. So it's kind of the step after just on-site sales. And the principles are very simple. You just create a lead magnet on your site, a lead magnet being a free, be like a, an ebook or something like this, or a video series or something like that, that gets people to give you their email. And then with follow-up emails, you promote affiliate offers. Obviously, GDPR has changed the way a little bit, so you need to change your call to actions to tell people they will also receive promotional emails when they sign up, because otherwise, yeah, you're breaking the law in Europe or just don't show your opt-ins in Europe, I guess. But that still works really well. And, and it's a good way to kind of like go from a site that does product reviews to a site that makes money from affiliate in other ways. And that makes, that can make money from affiliate as well through informational content, right? So this how to make far, money farting article, it makes mostly money from advertising. And, you know, 800,000 visitors, it, it was a good return on investment, right? But like at some point we had some kind of affiliate funnel. It's not running anymore because we don't run these offers anymore, but we had, these lead magnets and people would opt in for like a digestion improvement lead magnet and would promote affiliate offers that would promote courses that help you improve your digestion, if I remember correctly. And that article was also making money from affiliate despite the fact that it had no real direct connection with buying products right away. It was a good way to warm people up and it's make also, money. So it's also a really funnel? good stepping yeah. stone to, if you do that to, as we, as we said, I think it was two or three weeks ago when we talked about uh, launching courses, building courses. If you have yeah, that, it's yeah. very very easy to just create a course and switch out the affiliate offer for the course you've created. So it's also kind of building a lot of potential value in terms of what you can offer in, in future as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good way also to learn what's working, what's not in terms of paid products yeah. and courses, you know. You just go and promote these to this email list and then whichever promotes well, you like, sells well, sorry. You're like, well, that's the topic for the course when I create one and then you just swap the offer. And you, instead of making 40% commission, you make 100% of the money, you know, easy, good and easy transition for the next point as well, because that's exactly what the next point is about, launching a, a front-end info product. So there's really two cases in which you want to do that. 
a front-end info product being selling your own ebooks, selling your own course, etc. And obviously, we're getting a little bit further away from the really low-hanging fruits. But I think that an info product can be something that's really quick. It's like today, Atari Hacker Pro has like 200 plus videos. But when I started, there was 10 videos. Our, and it was on our first for like- juicing product, front-end product on uh, health ambition. It was, I think it was maybe like 12 or 13 blog posts just tied together. And we wrote like another 2000 words of content for like an intro and outro and a few extra paragraphs here and there. But that was literally it. It was just the blog post stuck together. And we sold that on and we sold yeah, thousands we sold of that dollars on for twenty something dollars and sold a lot. We did a blog post on Authority Hacker about it as well, so you can check that out. Authorityhacker.com slash product. That's how simple so, it yeah. can actually be. Uh, it's kind of like the minimum viable product approach to, to doing that. Yeah. And and really it's like it's quite powerful, especially when you mix it with uh content upgrades and yeah. opt-in pop-ups. You know, you have your kind of upgrade or your opt-in pop-up, and then the thank you page actually pre-sells the product, essentially. And then after that, you have a couple of follow-up emails that keep promoting the product. It works really well. Just having straightforward promo emails, a basic sales page, and a course that can really put together in like a week. It's a really good way to start. And really, I would do it in two cases. One, when you've done the affiliate funnel tactic that we talked about and you're making some money, then create your own info product and compete with that. I think that's what we did for juicing, actually. And second is when there is actually no good info offer on your niche and you want to do the affiliate funnel thing, instead, just do your own info product. And with products like Thinkific, et cetera, these days, it's really easy to release info products. And obviously, don't get like a really cheap writer. Don't get like two-star content on text broker. That's not going to work to create your info product. Invest a little bit of money onto that, but it's it's really a good way to also diversify your income not just make more money another one that i got from matt diggity actually so this one i'll had admit happily admitted i have not done it although i mean i guess i've done it once with ahrefs i guess but it's reaching out to companies that don't have an fa program and offer to refer sales to them in exchange for money essentially like to have an affiliate agreement with kind of something exclusive which is really nice because usually when there's no affiliate programs there's also no competition for the review keywords, right? So that's kind of nice. And Matt Diggity just swears these are the best deals he makes, actually. So when we talk, that's what he said to me. What I would recommend if you want to do that is to look for companies that spend money on advertising. So there's two ways to figure out how much companies spend money on advertising. First, visit their site and look for retargeting ads. Second, just Google related keywords and look on AdWords. And because you know that these companies, they're happy to pay for sales already. So if you're like, well, you're going to bypass the advertising cost and then you're going to give me that instead and you get the same result as AdWords, just more of it. And I'll send you a traffic your way and, and you only pay me every time you make a sale. That's actually a lot less risky than running PPC, right? So it's an easy way to convince them. And then I would just offer them something straight away. So I'd be like, well, for every sale I make, I would like you to pay me $30 or $40 or whatever. And then I would buy, ah, I found my link tracker name. I would buy a tool called ClickMeter. ClickMeter is a cool tool because it's a link tracking tool, but it also has tracking pixels. So they can just put that on their thank you page when people check out on their site or contact them or whatever if it's lead generation. And, and you just you can give them access as well. So you can give like client access. So they, they get to compare which conversions come from you and so you literally get a number of conversion you invoice them at the end of the month and then you have your own 
mini affiliate program running just off a link tracking tool. So that's kind of a cool way to this build is, your own stuff. And admittedly, a lot of the outreach stuff we talk about can this be This is something which uh, it kind of goes together with the, you know, asking for a, a, an increase section. Yeah. Tip number five, I think it was. Like a lot of online marketers tend to be a little bit more introverted, a little bit more sort of reserved. And they, they like, I mean, we're like that as well. Like we like the fact that we're working online and we don't have like thousands of people around us and, you know, that kind of stuff. But what that does mean is like the whole structure of the business can often become a bit more insular. So there's a lot of competition on, for example, Amazon competing for, you know, product review keywords and stuff on there because it's so easy to start a site, so easy to get into that affiliate program but there's zero competition for some of these because you know they don't have affiliate programs and no one's bothered to pick up the phone and call them or go into their office and meet them and that that kind of stuff so i believe him when i when he says that there's a a huge amount of opportunity there i mean there was a friend of ours who's like not into online marketing i wanted to start and one thing i told him like a while ago was like what online marketing needs is not more nerds it is more real business people who shake hands you know and just make these kind of custom deals etc if you get yourself to do this kind of stuff and get into that that level of stuff you can really build your own stuff and like stuff that nobody else will have and that's going to be hugely advantageous and if you know madit is hugely successful so if he's doing it and saying it's great i I believe him to be honest i would say i've I've done it with a trust but other otherwise i haven't done it and now everyone contacts Ahrefs. Anyway, I'll let you do the uh, last one. The last one, one is real simple. It's cut your costs. Um, that sounds really straightforward, but it's something that most people are just terrible at. They're so focused on growth that every cost they have just sort of goes down as like a cost of doing business kind of thing. It happens a lot. It doesn't happen so much for us anymore because we've gotten better at it. But back in the day, we used to like acquire tools left, right, and center. Some flashy new AppSumo yeah. thing came out and it's like, oh, Let's buy it. Annual subscription. Or Don't talk about AppSumo. No one can get it. It really is. It's the kind of products you see repeatedly <laughs> on AppSumo that there's, I mean, to balance it, you know, we've, some of the, like our most commonly used tools like Mailshake came off of there. So it's a great place to find tools. It's just, I find a lot of people, yeah, full it's, it's, objects, it's full yeah. of shiny objects and they fall for it. And then while it may actually be successful, it's not the fact that the tool doesn't work. It's that they have many other things which are much higher priority and they're going to move the needle much more for them. So what I'm saying is like, go through your credit card statement and just look at all these. It's easy to dismiss them as a like five, 10, 20 bucks a month kind of thing. But don't think of it in terms of monthly costs, think of it in terms of annual costs. So multiply everything by 12 and then the numbers suddenly become a bit more sort of serious. So like 80 bucks a month, $83 a month is a thousand dollars a year. The same thing in terms of like staff. So if you have like VAs or people doing, you know, social media or, or something which isn't really like impacting your business and it's not really one of your core competencies, not really moving the needle, but you're just doing it because you got into the habit of doing this. With websites, I see a lot of people who they want to publish like X number of times per week or per month because they feel they have this kind of something they owe to their audience. And if you have a real audience that follows you, like we do on this podcast, then that's very important. We acknowledge that. Like we believe we do. (laughs) However, if your site is really just getting people, it's all about getting, you know, traffic from Google as they're searching for a product, as they're about to buy it on Amazon kind of thing, then that sort of thing is less important. And the branded experience and the regular content and all that, it's it's not as important. So you can potentially cut a a lot of that 
out. And as I said, think of all your costs in terms of what they cost you per year, not per month. And then it suddenly becomes a, a lot harder to swallow that like $250 a month expense, which you, you know, don't really need. Yeah. I mean, I'm the guy that cleans stuff up usually. So, I mean, you clean stuff up on tools. I clean stuff yeah. up on people usually. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Anyway, too much information. We're going to wrap up this podcast. Ah, you wanted to have some warnings yeah, for people. Yeah, yeah. So, right? I mean, we've been talking a lot about uh, low-hanging fruit. And those are things which can you can implement fairly quickly that are going to have a meaningful impact on your, your business, on your bottom line. There are some things which we've sort of done or played around with which I would not categorize as low-hanging fruit. They may improve certain things, but either they take a lot of time, a lot of effort, or the amount of work compared to the result has been fairly negligible. And we talked a lot about this on our when we talked uh, our podcast about redesigning health ambition that spent all this time like making an awesome new design and like full branded experience. It was great, but then not much actually happened to the rankings. So it took ages to actually do it as well. So thinking you can just like redesign your site and it's going to suddenly triple your revenue is probably not going to happen. The most you probably get is, you know, 20, 30% change, if that. Similar thing with site speed. This is a favorite one. Uh, What was that guy's name? A Viper Chill, Glenn something or other. He posted this article about how to improve your site speed on his blog. And it, it went really viral. Like loads of people were talking about it in IAM. Yeah, like oh, a long time ago, five years ago. Yeah, and right? it was billed as a sort of like really quick thing to implement, and it's going to like drastically change everything. And while it is quick to implement, and while it does have some kind of effect, particularly on user experience if it speeds up your site, for most people that didn't really move the needle at all. And it's one of these things that kind of becomes a, a shiny object that you, you're working on instead of working on like the core business content links, monetization, you know that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just wanted to warn people against a few of these things. And similarly, adding new content channels. So if you have a really good blog and you're just deciding, oh, hey, we should start YouTube or let's start a podcast as a, as a low-hanging fruit, those things tend to take like a long time. If they're like a core part of your business, they tend to take like a long time to ramp up and to actually gain any, any sort of traction. So yeah, I mean, I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm just saying when you're considering what to work on, they're long-term projects, they're not low-hanging fruits, basically. They're core parts of your business more than like, a lot of these things are like, I mean, first of all, everything we talked about was related to making money directly. It's like, where's the money you could ask for each thing we talked about and you can pretty quickly identify it. With site speed, it's more indirect. With redesign, it's indirect. Podcast and YouTube is indirect, etc. Like, end of the day, you should balance these things with like building a nice site and building something cool. But if you're looking to make more money right now, these are not the things you should be focusing on. You should focus on on the same we talked about in the whole podcast, yeah. basically. All right, uh, no, I don't think we mentioned the URL for this show. If I was gonna, if you guys have any right tips now. yourself which you think we've missed here, then actually go leave a comment. So it's authorityhacker.com forward slash low dash hanging dash fruits with a plural. Don't know why as a plural, but there you go. Because there's yeah, but several fruit fruits. Is a plural of fruit. <laughs> Oops. Well, go to go to. Here's, here's, my, here's the tip that's gonna come my way. Here's Grandma Lee. Let's check it out. You know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Should we leave it as fruit or fruit, sir? We're okay. So authorityhacker.com/slash/low-hanging-fruit singular, not plural. 
and leave us a comment with what you think will be low-hanging fruit that you've came across when you're trying to make more money from your site. Particularly interested to hear if anyone's in the like website flipping business, you know, if you like buy and then implement some of these things yeah. and sell. Because I know a lot of people do that and there's a lot of like real quick win opportunities that, that come up. So if you have any insights, feel free to share in there. I mean, a lot of the shippings, they implement these things and yeah. then they resell. You know? That's, the, that's, that's an entire it, business that's, that's in itself it, yeah. doing that. And it works really well. There's quite a few people in uh, the HPro Facebook group have uh, talked about that. Should probably bring some people on the podcast yeah. that do that, actually. That'd be interesting. All right. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week with another episode. You can find all the show notes on atoyhacker.com slash low-hanging-fruit without S. And if you haven't yet, feel free to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and so on because it kind of helps us reach more people. So thanks for listening. Bye, guys. And see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.